Well, good morning. Welcome again to Westbridge. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. It's awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you in our parent viewing area. Excuse me. Uh, Thanks for joining us there. That's a great option if you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. Shout out to those on our online campus and our microsite. Awesome to have you with us as well. And uh, if you would like to sign up for a first time Christmas, uh, uh, not a first time, just a Christmas Eve serve only. It doesn't mean you're signing up for the kids team, but if you want to serve on Christmas Eve, especially at that four o'clock service, just write Christmas Eve on the back of your uh, connection card and we'll make sure and get you connected with um, Amanda who runs that and uh, get a spot for you because we'd love to uh, make sure that every area is covered. And here's the big reason for that, and really this is why we're doing five Christmas Eve services, is because uh, we know that a lot of people will say yes to an invitation to come to church on Christmas Eve when they may not say yes to an invitation uh, at a different time during the year. There's something about this time of year. And so I want to encourage you not only to maybe jump in to serve one time during one of those services, but also to invite somebody to join you for one of those services. And we're creating five different opportunities because we want to make sure there's plenty of open seats for you to invite your friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers. And so um, I want to encourage you, invite somebody to join you, whatever service you're planning to attend, invite someone to come with you. And we want to make sure that the message of Jesus is heard by as many people as possible. So I uh, encourage you with that. Uh, how many of you, just to kick this off today, how many of you have your Christmas shopping done? You're, you're done with it. That's awesome. Wow. Some of you. If you're uh, watching online, put a one in the chat if you're done with your shopping. Now, how many of you would say, uh, I got a little bit more to do. I'm, I'm working on it, but I just, I'm halfway there or better. Like it's a little bit more. Okay. If that's you online, put a two in the chat. Uh, and then how many of you would say, I have not started yet? All right. Thank you for your honesty. If you are watching online, just put an uh-oh in the chat. Yeah. Uh, I recognize the stress that comes with the Christmas shopping. And so uh, oftentimes uh, each year we provide a service here and we uh, really, it's to help you. And we have gone through all kinds of incredible gifts and found really the best that SkyMall has to offer. And uh, here for your viewing pleasure are some of those things because we just want to help give you some ideas. And so these are things you can order directly from SkyMall. The first one is a mounted squirrel head. Who doesn't want that, right? And sometimes, you know, hunters will, you know, they'll, they'll mount like a, a, an elk or a deer. I've seen fishermen who, uh, they get their prized fish on there. But I feel that this tells a much better story. And so I would encourage you, uh, give this gift. Here's another one. This is the, uh, the drink hoodie. Because who among us hasn't been, uh, you know, holding a drink and thought, I really want to put my hands in my pocket, but I got this drink. It's like, meet me halfway. Am I right? So there you go. Put that right there. Put your hands in your pocket. The only thing that would make this better would be a straw that just comes directly up, right? Hands-free sipping. How about this? The, uh, the glowing toilet. Fantastic. I think this is absolutely one of the most practical gifts I've ever seen. Uh, We've all been searching for the toilet in the middle of the night, and this not only solves that problem, but looks awesome in the process. So that's another great gift idea. Uh, Here's another great gift idea for you. This is the alien butler. His name is Roswell. And uh, this is for the sci-fi lover in your life, right? Uh, Who doesn't want a small, lifelike alien butler serving their next drink at their next Christmas gathering? And then this one's probably my favorite. I think it's really romantic. This is called the the smitten. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. Because, you know, you're, 
you're outside somewhere and you're wearing mittens and you want to hold hands with your significant other, but you're both wearing mittens, it's less romantic. This way you can both put your hand into one mitten and hold hands while holding a mitten. I mean, you're going to be smitten. You see what I did there? So that is some really good ideas for you guys for this Christmas. And uh, we'll, we'll do this uh, again every year. This is kind of one of our ways of just providing a service to you for those of you that are continuing to do your Christmas shopping. There is many more things that can be found on Sky Mall as well. And if you would like to waste endless amount of time searching for gifts, you can do that as well. It's awesome. Uh, so today we're continuing our series that Eli uh, started last week, The Thrill of Hope. Uh, Eli launched this last week, and uh, uh, this idea comes from a song, O Holy Night. And there's a line in the song that describes the night when Jesus was born. And the line says, the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And we wanted to talk about the thrill of hope. That this idea that when Jesus came into the world, it offers hope to us. And, and during this season is when we specifically, uh, you know, we're, our, our senses are kind of heightened to that. We're more aware of that than ever before. That Jesus came into this world and his entrance into our world, Jesus becoming human, actually brings hope to us. And a weary world rejoices. In fact, the weary world rejoiced at a very specific announcement that was made uh, to some shepherds who were working the night shift with some sheep on that very first Christmas day. And uh, the announcement is read and uh, recorded for us in Luke chapter 2. It says this, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. Now when I think about this, and you know, I, I remember as a kid kind of seeing pictures of this or um, growing up in a, in a church setting, um, if you don't know what this is, flannel graph of this, and there would be like, you know, maybe a dozen angels behind them. But imagine this, it says it's vast, a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. So multiple, multiple, probably hundreds or thousands of angels showing up and singing, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. This good news that Jesus has come into the world. The, the angel said, this is going to be good news. It's going to bring great joy to all people. And this is, this is peace on earth. That's, what's, that's what we're looking for. How's that going for us? It's been 2,000 years. How's that going for us? Peace on earth. When we look at the world around us, we see a lot of chaos, don't we? We see a lot of uh, violence, and we see a lot of protests, and we see a, a lot of uh, political bantering and positioning and opinions and people arguing on social media and bickering and poverty and homelessness and a, a lot of suffering. And there's something deep inside of us that longs for peace on earth, something that aches for peace to actually be a reality. Something that just says, you know, there's so much chaos, there's so much turmoil, there's so much uh, dissonance in our world. There's, there's so much that is not peace. 
And yet we read this announcement and this angel says, no, this is good news. It's going to bring great joy for who? All people and peace on earth. And so if peace is something Jesus has promised, how do we experience that? And I think it's really important for us to recognize, number one, peace on earth begins with Jesus. Now that might sound like the the simple church answer, but the truth is oftentimes we try to find peace outside of Jesus. And it's interesting when you think about uh, the things that we want in our life, a lot of the things that we look for, that we want, we want peace, we we want a a sense of peace, equality and justice and all of these things in our lives. And oftentimes what we fail to recognize is that those are really Jesus and his kingdom ideas. And they come from serving Jesus. And yet what we often want is we want all of the, all of the equality and peace and justice and all of the, all the things that come with the kingdom of Jesus. We just don't want to make Jesus the Lord of our life. So we want the kingdom. We just don't want to serve the king. When I picture a lack of peace, especially during this time of year, I think about Dr. Grinch uh, or Dr. Seuss and, and the Grinch, right? The classic book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He was obsessed with destroying their Christmas. And he thought, if I take everything away from them, then they're going to they're gonna just miss out on the Christmas spirit. If I take away their food, if I take away their decorations, if I take away their gifts, then we'll see if they really have Christmas. Then we'll see what's really going on with them. And Christmas Eve came and he's the only one who didn't have peace. He was the only one that was still lacking peace because it it was something else that was bringing that to them. And the point was that peace was to be found somewhere that he didn't expect it. And he thought he could disrupt their peace by disrupting their external circumstances. And the reality is the Christmas spirit came from somewhere else, somewhere besides the gifts and the food and the traditions and decorations. And the reality is the same is true of us. The truth is we will never experience peace on earth until we experience peace in our own hearts. And we cannot truly experience peace apart from Jesus. Jesus came into the world to bring peace into a world filled with turmoil and chaos. And until we understand that, what we will try to do in our lives is do everything possible to fix everything out here, to fix all the externals, to make sure that we have enough and that we uh, make sure that we um, chase all the right things in this life, get everything set the way we want it. But if we're not following Jesus, if we're not surrendered to Jesus, then we're going to suffer from this continual restlessness and worry and anxiety and anger. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 16. He was with his disciples before he was going to be arrested. He's having this kind of final conversation with them. And he says this to them, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have trials and sorrows but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus came to bring peace that would rule in our hearts and our minds, the kind of peace that isn't based in circumstances, but the kind of peace that would sort of transcend whatever was going on around us because of what Jesus was doing in us. And the reason that's really difficult to understand is because we, we really buy into this deception. We really buy into this notion and uh, this idea that the source of our restlessness, the source of our lack of peace, the source of our chaos, the source of our turmoil is out there. And if I can fix the external circumstances, then I will have peace. But here's the reality. My lack of peace is rooted in my discontentment. The reason that I don't have peace isn't because i got to solve something out here. It's because I I want something internally that I'm not getting. 
As a parent, every once in a while, there are those uh, sort of moments when I hear conversations from the back of the vehicle that sound like, uh, you know, kids are fighting with each other. And usually those conversations are like, Dad, he, he started it. She started it. Uh, I wanted to sit there. Uh, they crossed the line. They drank from my bottle of water, you know, and, and <laughs> I do what any good parent would do in that situation, and I just ignore it. It's just good parenting 101, right? I ignore it as long as I can, and then I finally speak up, and I say, guys, when I was your age, and I had siblings, I would, I would serve them. I would go out of my way to ask them, what is your preference? Where would you like to sit? Is this your water bottle? And I could just stop the car, right, and crawl into the back and just bring swift justice to that situation. But honestly, a lot of times I think to myself, is this really that big of a deal? Can you just work it out? Can you just, we have more water bottles. Can you just give that to the other person? Can, can you just sit there and let them sit there? Like these are the thoughts that go through your mind as a parent, but from my perspective, they should just be able to work it out on their own, right? Can't you just work it out? And the reason that it's so difficult if we're really drilling down on this, is there is a restlessness inside. There's a discontentment beneath the surface. And they're, tr they're busy trying to fix it externally. The truth is there's something going on inside. I know that there's something lurking deep beneath the surface that is causing this riff in their relationship currently. And the reality is it's because I want my way and I didn't get my way. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, describes this dynamic perfectly. He's writing this letter to followers of Jesus living in the first century. And man, it applies to us. Listen to what he writes. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? We think it's this. James says, you think it's something going on among you. Isn't it actually something going on within you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. James goes, hey, time out. Isn't this the truth? You didn't get your way. You have a desire. You wanted something, and you didn't get it. And so now you, you have to disrupt peace and go after the thing that you think you're owed. And James just goes, man, our lack of peace comes from these little wars that we start when we have these desires and our desires aren't being met. We're discontent with where we find ourselves. Isn't that the truth? We think, man, we could have peace if, if we could just solve what's going on externally. And James goes, no, 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 no. This is something internal. The problem isn't them. The problem is it's you. You want something and you didn't get your way. Your lack of peace comes from the fact that you're, you're not looking to Jesus to bring your peace. You're not looking to say, Jesus, I want to surrender to you. I want to follow your way of living life. You're, you're looking to something else to satisfy those desires. And when you didn't get your way, you interpret that as a lack of peace because your natural tendency and my natural tendency is to fight for whatever I think I'm owed, whatever that desire is. Now, that's really counterintuitive, isn't it? Like, my kids have never come up to me after any kind of incident or conflict and said, Dad, you know what? I was thinking about it, and the truth is I just didn't get my way. That's really what it comes down to. I just didn't get my way. And I realized that. And so I just want to apologize. You're a great father. <laughs> it's never, never had that conversation. But isn't that the reality? I didn't get my way. And when you think about it, when you think about your lack of peace, I think James just nails this. 
He's like, you, you think what's causing quarrels among you, you think your lack of peace with other people comes from something that's going on among you. And he goes, come on, let's just be honest. Isn't it, isn't it something that's going on inside of you? Isn't it because you wanted something? You had this desire and you didn't get your way? And now because of your frustration over not getting your way, you're actually scheming and trying to figure out a way to get what you feel you're owed. Isn't that the reality? I want what they have. I want what I feel they owe me. I deserve an apology, right? I, I thought they would make me happy. I thought the deal would turn out better. I thought I would be further along in my career. I thought this and this is the desire that I had and it's not panning out and I didn't, I didn't get my way and so now I've got to fight and I've got to scheme and I've got to figure out a way to claw to where I thought I should be. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I believe I'm owed. And James just goes, can we just be honest? Isn't that what's causing your lack of peace? Isn't that what's causing the... the the chaos between other people, the disruption between other people is that you just have something internally that you haven't solved. And here's what that leads us to. We are tempted to dehumanize others to feel better about us. That's just human nature. Like when I want to feel better about me, I'm tempted to dehumanize you. Because the more I can dehumanize you and I can, I can separate how I think about you and I can feel better about me. And if I, can, if I can make you wrong in some area, then I don't have to actually listen to your story and treat you like I would treat somebody else. And that's just human nature. This is, this is the, uh, the, uh, the difficulty of being human is that we have this in us. There's a story, uh, Christmas Eve, 1914. The First World War had just begun. And uh, a great battle had taken place in Belgium. And you had Germany on one side and you had uh, the allied forces of the, the British and the French on the other side. And this is a, a time where uh, it happened frequently in World War I. The two sides had come to a gridlock. And when that happened, they would dig trenches. They called this trench warfare. And they would dig trenches miles long. And you'd have one side in the trenches on, uh, you know, on one side and you'd have the, the other nation and whatever their allies were in the trenches on the other side and they're firing at each other. And there's a space in between called no man's land, right? And it's about 60 to 80 yards between them. And the reason it's called no man's land is because you would not go in the middle of that battle and live. In this particular battle, there were 100,000 troops combined from uh, all of the nations that were involved. And so the ditches went on for miles and miles and miles. And it was a ferocious battle that had gone on for over a month. And conditions were absolutely horrible. And both sides suffered many casualties. Many young men had lost their lives. As you can imagine, no man's land was filled with a lot of dead bodies. And since nobody could go out into no man's land to recover those bodies, uh, they started to decompose and there started to become a stench and it, it just got really, really bad and it was starting to just um, eat away at them. And as Christmas Day drew closer, the Germans actually uh, set up trees, decorated them with candles, started to sing Christmas songs. At night, you could hear them from the other trenches across no man's land. You could hear the Germans singing, Oh, holy night and silent night. And after several times of singing, the French and the British actually began to join in and they began to sing Silent Night together with the Germans. And there's about 60 to 80 yards between them of dead bodies. And you have uh, French and British 
soldiers on one side and German soldiers on the other, and they're all lifting their voices, singing Silent Night together. It's absolutely unbelievable. Like for a moment, whatever the chaos was between them was suspended, and there was this peace that they experienced. And so they started to sing across the trenches, and it brought many to tears, and the song reminded them of happier times. And the singing, uh, they started singing other Christmas carols and other Christmas songs and uh, kind of recognizing, man, there's, this isn't just an enemy. These are, these are people on the other side. And at one point, the Germans put up a white flag on top of a pole to signal that they would like to have a truce. They'd like to have a ceasefire. And, and so over time, the British and French forces reciprocated that. And somebody put up a white flag as well, and they'd like to be a part of that truce. And as they continued singing Christmas carols, someone dared to get a white flag and actually walk out into no man's land. Now recognize, they, they, they could have easily been killed, but they said, I'm, I'm going to trust this truce. I'm going to trust that this, this peace is legitimate. And so they walked out into no man's land, and uh, unbelievably holding a white flag, someone from the other side did the same thing. And before you knew it, both armies were meeting in the middle of no man's land, singing Christmas carols together, greeting each other with Christmas greetings and shaking each other's hands. Absolutely unbelievable. When you think about this um, sort of declaration from the angels saying, you know, peace on earth. I feel like this would be something you'd envision. People that were once opposing forces, now shaking hands and greeting each other and, and hearing each other's stories. And some of the soldiers started to weep over the enemies that they were burying. Nobody knew it at the time, but this was really an, uh, the beginning of an amazing week. A week long, when Christmas Day arrived, they continued the truce, and the two armies actually spent the day cleaning up the dead bodies, holding joint funerals, uh, burying the dead. They had uh, sung Christmas songs together and told stories of fallen friends that they were burying. And some of them would weep over the enemies that they were burying because now that they'd heard their stories and they wondered, was my bullet the one that had taken their life? And over the course of the next several days, the two sides celebrated Christmas together. I mean, unbelievable. They played soccer together. They traded tobacco and cognac, and they just hung out together, developing friendships and relationships. We have accounts of soldiers drinking and talking late into the night, sharing stories and laughing together, and they'd shoot their guns uh, into the sky, shooting at the stars. Um, we have accounts from both sides of how they found different ways to serve uh, the enemy. Unbelievable. One barber would uh, cut all the uh, give haircuts to enemy soldiers in exchange for souvenirs. And they even held joint church, church services where they would sing worship songs together. They would read Bible reflections together. It was an absolutely incredible week of peace. A hundred thousand soldiers participating in an unofficial truce. Think about that. And of course, not everyone was in agreement with that truce. You had some soldiers on either side that said, no, we got to be fighting. They are the enemy. And some had to be quarantined and actually held in the brig so that they could, uh, wouldn't disrupt the peace that they were experiencing. Because if someone would have broken the truce, it would have quickly eroded trust on both sides. And as you can imagine, when the generals back home heard what was going on in the field, they were furious. They ordered an end to the truce. They ordered the soldiers to get back to fighting and, and issued an immediate return to the fighting. And so on January 1st, 1915, the fighting resumed. 
And it didn't stop again for another three years until another eight million young men lost their lives. The Christmas truce of 1914 was a very unique experience. And after it happened, the British actually implemented a policy that said that if, uh, if their army was ex- involved in any type of extended trench warfare, that they would shift them around. So they could only stay in the trenches for a very limited period of time before they would shift them to a different area because they were afraid that they would actually make friends with the enemy. They had realized a very powerful truth. The moment an enemy becomes human, they're more difficult to kill. The moment that I see someone that I saw as an enemy, and now I see them as human, they're a lot more difficult to kill. The moment I stop seeing someone as more than a slang term or a curse word or an idiot or a failure, and I start to see them as a human being created in the image of God, they're more difficult to kill. They're more difficult to kill with my words, They're more difficult to kill with my actions. They're more difficult to kill with my attitudes. And the temptation for me to justify using my anger and hurt and bitterness and attitudes to destroy another person's self-worth is if I can find a way to dehumanize them so that I feel better about the restlessness in my own soul. If I can find a way to, to, to view them through a different lens, then I can feel better about me. Think of how bizarre it must have been Most of these soldiers were 19, 20, 21, 22. Think about after a week of peace, after listening to someone's story, after uh, singing worship songs and Christmas carols together, after exchanging gifts with somebody else, how do you return to fighting? After you've developed some friendships and gotten to know each other. I mean, the the typical age, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. Imagine a, a German soldier named Hans, and a a British soldier named William. And they meet each other, and for a week they're playing soccer together, they're exchanging stories, they're laughing together, they're learning about each other's families. Uh, Hans tells William about his wife back home and his newborn son. William uh, tells Hans about his mom and about the fact that, you know, he's one of two boys, but his older brother was killed a few weeks earlier. And now he's his mom's only son left and how worried and terrified she is that she's going to lose another son. For a week, they share what they have in common, their common interests, their common fears. And how do you resume the mission after that? How do you, how do you get back to killing each other after that? How, how does William look at Hans and say, man, I'm sorry, but I've got orders to try to make your wife a widow and your son fatherless? How does Hans say to William, man, I'm sorry, but I've got orders to try to make your mom lose her mind by taking away her last son. How do we do that? And however it went down, it, it had to be incredibly painful to participate in a truce like that, to, to experience that kind of peace and then resume fighting, to kill someone once you've gotten in touch with their humanity. And now the person you're trying to kill isn't just some enemy from another country. Now they're a human being. And the only reason that they are shooting at each other is because they were born in different countries. That's it. And since different leaders have different beefs with one another and they're obligated to kill even though they don't really know each other. The obvious question that comes to mind is why can't we live with an ongoing truce with other people? Why is it so hard to continue to live with a pattern of peace? Because the truth is, while uh, we're not on a 
a literal battlefield right now with weapons and guns and tanks and armies. Every day we face other people and every day we're tempted to dehumanize them, to see them as less than, to make ourselves feel better about us. About whatever's going on in our own hearts and in our own minds. In fact, here's what the Apostle Paul writes about this. He says this, writing to a group of people living in Ephesus in the first century. He says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Regardless of where you stand when it comes to God, regardless of how you're exploring faith, and what we all agree on is that there's evil in this world that there is chaos in this world, that there is turmoil, there is violence in this world. And regardless of where you stand politically, where we all agree is that we want to live in peace and we want evil to be vanquished. We, we want to have peace within and we want to have peace with others. And yet at the very same time, we have evil in ourselves, in our own hearts that must be dealt with because it's in my nature to kill other people, to kill their self-image, to kill their self-worth, to kill their potential, to kill their reputation, uh, to, to kill their dignity and their hope. And the weapons that we use are our words, our attitudes, our mindset, the way that we view them, our actions. See, I don't need a physical weapon to kill somebody's self-esteem. I don't need a physical weapon to kill somebody's self-worth. I don't need a physical weapon to diminish someone's identity. I don't need a physical weapon to hurt someone deeply. But I am tempted, you are tempted, to dehumanize other people, to see them as less than, so that we feel better about ourselves. And the reason it's so easy, it's easy to see them as the problem. But that is not the way of Jesus. Jesus had a reputation for being a friend of sinners. Listen, hanging out with some of you guys, I'm getting that same reputation. Because I'm a sinner. And people who are nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. Jesus never looked at people as less than. He didn't see the them. It was just us. Jesus brought people together. Jesus carried the title Prince of Peace. The way of Jesus is not to see people and dehumanize them to feel better about us. The way of Jesus is to bring peace to others. And so here's what I want to encourage us with during this Christmas season. Peace spreads when I offer what I've received. When, when these angels made this announcement during this Christmas season, the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And if we're honest, we still live in a weary world that is looking for hope. We live in a weary world that's looking for peace. And this is the announcement that the angel made, that peace is found in Jesus. And that we've received that, that you can actually experience peace with God. That ultimately to live in peace in the world means that I, I, I'm in right standing with God. And when I understand that I'm in right standing with God, it's a lot easier for me to see people the way that God sees people. There's a pretty well-known story, you've probably heard it before, about a boy that was walking along the shoreline and uh, there were all kinds of starfish that had washed up on the seashore. 
And he started to take a, a starfish and throw it back into the water. And he took another one and he threw it back into the water. And he's kind of walking down the seashore. And as he did, there was an old gentleman uh, that was kind of watching him. He said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm throwing the starfish back into the ocean. And the guy looked up and down the shoreline. There were just hundreds of thousands of these starfish all along uh, the, the shores. And he goes, well, you know you're not going to make a difference, right? And the kid picked up a starfish and he chucked another one back into the water and he goes, made a difference to that one. And that's the truth. The way we've said that around here for years is that we do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. That we don't let the fact that we can't do for everyone keep us from doing for the one. And the truth is when we embrace the peace offered by Jesus, we can actually make a difference in somebody's life. We can make a difference for our neighbor. We can make a difference for that family member. We can make a difference for that coworker. We can make a difference for that person, for that loved one, for, for that friend. We can at least make a difference in whatever sphere of influence God has given us, that we can make a difference there, even the people living under our own roof. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing this letter to people living in Corinth in the first century. He started a church there. He's writing to them. He's describing to them what happens when we're in right standing with God. When we, when we recognize the peace that we have with God that's been offered to us and we, and we start to live that out. And he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This is one of the reasons that we do uh, water baptism is because we recognize that the old life is gone. A new life has begun. And so if you've experienced new life because of Jesus, I want to encourage you the next time we do baptism to get baptized. Because what you're saying is this, I'm burying the old me and I'm rising to new life with Jesus. I'm in right standing with God. In other words, Paul's saying this, since peace begins with Jesus, when we are reconciled to Jesus, when we're in right standing with God, we experience peace. Regardless of what's going on externally, regardless of what's going on around us. And I love this contrast that Paul describes. Your old life is gone. A new life is springing up in its place. You've become a whole new person. The old me was tempted to dehumanize others, to see them as less than, uh, less than, to make sure I feel better about me. But the new life that I have in Jesus doesn't have to do that. And now I, I have new thoughts and new attitudes towards others. And I can actually offer the peace that God has offered me. I can offer that to other people. Because the temptation in all of us is to conduct our lives according to the kingdoms that we're a part of physically. And so I, I, I tend to rehearse my hurts. I replay them in my mind and I magnify the wrongs that have been done to me and uh, I make generalizations about a group of people or individuals. And I, I, I insist on writing my own story about someone else and I make assumptions about them and I dehumanize others so I feel better about me. And the old life searched for external solutions to provide peace. If I could figure out how to fix all this out there, then I could experience peace. The new life discovers that peace comes from Jesus and being a part of his kingdom and recognizing I'm in right standing with God. And yet many of us are still tempted to live, even when we recognize that, we, that we've been offered this peace from Jesus, we take it and we go, all right, now the world is in chaos. And so I, I'm going to live with this survival mentality, right? I'm just going to, I'm going to, I've got this peace from God. I'm going to hunker down until Jesus comes back. Because the world is in chaos. And we look at the world around us and, and we think that we can't make a difference. So, man, let's just hunker down. We'll survive until Jesus comes. But Paul and the first century followers of Jesus, who lived, by the way, in an era of way, way more cruelty and chaos than the world that we live in, they didn't have a survival mentality. 
they had a resurrection mentality. See, they had, they had this idea that Jesus has given me peace and I must offer that. I must offer peace to other people. I must offer what has so freely been offered to me. And so Paul continues in the next verses. He says this, all of this is a gift from God. All of this meaning, hey, this idea that the old life is gone and the new life is here, that's a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. That's where peace comes from when I know my sins are not counted against me. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I can't think of another description of true peace than knowing I'm in right standing with the one who created me. That I'm in right standing with God. Peace doesn't mean everything going on around me is perfect, right? Peace means that I'm in right standing with God. And when you realize that you're in right standing with God, you want to experience, and you, and you experience the kind of peace that comes from that, you want other people to feel that as well. You want to share that with other people. I love what Jesus said in this last night before he was with his, uh, when he was with his disciples, before he was betrayed. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus does not deny that the world and the kingdoms of this world and the way this world operates sometimes can offer us a sense of peace. He simply contrasts that with the peace that he offers. Peace of mind, peace of heart. It is something internal. It is not determined by external forces or circumstances. So I'm a peacemaker. I'm a peacemaker here in the world every time that I point others to the peace that is found in a relationship with Jesus. And folks, that's why the church exists. That's why we gather. That's why we're here. People helping people find and follow Jesus. And every time that we help somebody else discover the peace found in Jesus, we are peacemakers here in the world. We're essentially saying we have found peace with God and we so desperately want you to experience that as well. That's what drives the church forward. It's this idea that I am to freely extend to others what has so graciously been extended to me. That I am to freely give away the peace that I've experienced. And so we work hard to create environments around here where we can invite the community to experience that. It's why we sing songs each week to remind us of God's presence, to remind us of the peace that we have with God. And that it's something for everyone. It's why we serve others to create environments that make it so easy to invite your friends so they can experience God's peace for themselves. It's why we do groups to invite people into relationships with other people so they can experience and share in God's peace together. It's the message that the angels brought that very first Christmas. Good news that brings great joy for all people. Peace on earth. And we are the hands and feet of Jesus. So... We want to continue to bring that good news to our community so that everybody can experience it. And while the message of culture is that we can somehow achieve peace by dehumanizing others and making ourselves feel better, and we see this all the time in our culture. If somebody, if somebody sees something different than me, then it's easy for me to just write them off. I'll just defriend them. I'll just unfollow them. I'll just, I, don't, I can't trust anything that they, 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 them this is happening all the time in our culture. But let's be people who extend what has been extended to us. Let's share peace with others. We discover that peace comes when we actually invite people to experience a relationship 
with Jesus. Today there's a cross that marks that spot in no man's land of the 1914 Christmas truce. There is a cross standing there as a reminder. And my hope is that the cross of Jesus will mark our hearts and our lives as we live in peace with others. And here's what I want to encourage you with as we close. Maybe you've never experienced that. Or maybe you've started to follow Jesus, but you still have a lot of turmoil. Or maybe you've never followed Jesus. And what you need to know is that you were actually created by God and for God. And until you recognize that and acknowledge that, life is never really going to make sense. This question of why I'm here, why I exist, I mean, if we don't answer that question, then you're going to never really experience peace. And that's why we said ultimately peace begins with Jesus. See, you were created by God to live in loving community with him and others. And yet every one of us at some point in our lives said, I'm going to live life my own way. And it, and it broke peace with God. And we don't even need a Bible verse to tell us this. It broke peace with each other. It's why we have conflict this way. And oftentimes we have conflict with God. And so this is why we celebrate during this time of year. The Apostle Paul writes that at the right time in human history, God sent his son into the world. That Jesus came into the world to show us who God is, to reveal God to us, and then to invite us to repair the brokenness between us and God and us and each other. Peace. Peace on earth. And to exemplify that, to show us what that looks like. Jesus didn't do it by picking up a sword and conquering the military power of his day. Jesus did it by laying down his life in self-sacrificial love. And his, his allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, Jesus actually overcame death, rose from the dead. You want to talk about peace? We don't have to fear death. There's more to this life than this life. And you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family. Where the old life is gone, a new life begins. And if you've never said yes to that invitation, here's what you need to know. You don't behave your way into that. You don't earn your way into that. You don't church attend your way into that. It's an invitation that has been extended to every single person. And if you've never said yes to that, I want to encourage you to do that. As we close with this prayer, just agree with this simple prayer. God, please forgive my sins and forgive me for the times that I've just walked away from you and held you at arm's distance. I'm so grateful that you never walk away from me. And I want to say yes to the invitation to follow you, to be a part of your family. Make me your son, make me your daughter. And help me to follow you in your way of living as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us who have said yes to following you, and yet sometimes it's still in us. There's this internal struggle. Sometimes we believe the lie that others are less than so that we can feel better about ourselves. And I pray that you would help us to see people the way that you see people. And God, that not only would we experience peace as a result, but that we would be peacemakers in a world of chaos, that we wouldn't just hunker down and say, I can't wait till Jesus comes back, but that we would be agents of peace, ambassadors, calling people back to you in relationship with you. May we see people the way that you see people and love the way that you love. In Jesus' name, amen.